Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I am Mike Schaefer, joined by Michael Brunts. Brian Christofferson here on Thursday, the day after National Signing Day. A quiet day for Nebraska, but they did announce the signature of Wyndon Hohuli, who committed to the Huskers on January 2nd, which also feels like it was way more than a month ago. You guys know what else happened on January 2nd? Um, hmm. Was there no. Some, was there it is a Nebraska football-related thing. Who transferred? JoJo Doman put out his video that he was staying that same exact day. Yeah, why do you always got to be negative, Brunts? It was a positive thing. Yeah, Brunts. I mean, that's that, that's kind of what January was, although that, that's right, though, because it was the that was the big day for Nebraska linebackers. It was linebacker day. Yeah. Instead, you wanted to make it a negative thing. That's mm-hmm. true. I do. Uh, I do typically go negative when I have the chance to do so. Yeah, I mean, you're more like positive Peterson. Positively, Peterson. Potential, <laughs> potential segment. Yeah, it could be. That, that could be something we could look into in, in our show as we, we look to evolve here in our 18th season. All right. So we had the signing day. Nebraska did not add anyone new in that regard. Let's, let's get this out of the way first. What are, your, what are your first thoughts when you found out that Avante Dickerson was indeed going to Oregon? Uh, lack, lack of surprise, but I I mean, he just seemed like a recruit throughout the process who, uh, was interested in experimenting with going somewhere new. And I understand, I understand that some guys have that it's just in their mindset and it's sort of hard for the local school, uh, to, to get over the top with that. And I, I think that was a big part of it here. Um, I think Nebraska fans will probably take the punch a little bit easier just by the fact that he's going way out West and he's not in the division and you don't see him every year. So uh, that might ease the pain. Although if, you know, if they're watching some PAC 12 games in a couple of years and it's nine 30 at night and he's pick has a pick six in the first or second quarter, it's going to be all over social media as there is with any in-stater who gets away. Uh, it's always reminded when they do something well. How will the reaction be if he ever intercepts Tristan Jebbia during the uh, the whatever it's now called rivalry game? Yeah, as I say, they don't really have a name for it. I don't think anymore. Um, I I don't know. I think probably favorably. Maybe if he maybe this year he steps in front of a, a pass that's in, uh, intended for for Tyjon Lindsay. You've got that <laughs> possibility out there. Yeah, former Super Six star Tyjon Lindsay. Segway. There's, yeah. a lot of those. There's a lot of those from that uh, recruiting class. That, really want to dig in. 2017 does not age well in recruiting uh, or in super sixes. I had Happer go through and name his top six players in every class that we did a super six for, and he really struggled to come up with six scholarship guys for the 2017 class. Six. Like, that's, that's difficult. Tyjon Lindsay was his number six because they're – such few contributors that came out of that group. Who's still everybody, left? Everybody took a turn, though, in that class. I'm, I'm looking at the Super 6 now, and the, the top four guys in the composite are playing elsewhere right now. Yep. So there's that. And then you've got Damian Daniels at five and DeAndre Thomas at six. Yep. Brandon Hymas is the star of that class. Avery Roberts turned out to be an okay player. I, I think Avery Roberts was good. I still think that's one of the weirder things that Nebraska was just done with him. 
um, when they were. And I don't know if it was just the relationship didn't work there or not, but he, I think, you know, obviously the Pac-12, they didn't play a ton of games this year, but he had a nice season again for Oregon State. I think he's a, I think he's a pretty good linebacker. Man, that class did get obliterated <laughs> when you go through it. Um, Austin Allen's still around. All of our sleepers from that year are, are very sleepy. Who did yeah, I have? my sleeper isn't on the college football scene anymore, so that's the worst sleeper pick. <laughs> He slept. He didn't ever wake up. Yeah. Uh, BC, your sleeper was Ben Miles. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So there's that. Um, you were really high on Elijah Blades that year. Well, <laughs> I mean, talent-wise, yeah. Yeah. Um, Elijah Blades is returning to Texas A&M after threatening for the NFL draft, threatening the transfer portal. He, he stuck with the, the Aggies. I had to look that up the other day. BC, your list that year was Blades, Lindsey, Roberts, Jebbia, Daniels, Hymas, and then your sleeper was was Ben Miles. Yeah, that's rough. You guys had DeAndre Thomas at the top. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, little did we know that he wasn't going to be uh, able to make it as a 260-pound nose tackle in Bob Diaco's system. Still in the program, though. I mean, if yeah. it, honestly – Honestly, if a guy's still in the program and he, you had him on your top, you, you won. Like, you won with that list because that's the – that counts for something in this group. Yeah. All right. Well, let's stop talking about 2017 before people just completely give up on this podcast. And we'll talk to yeah. him about the 2021 Super 6, of which was compiled yesterday. There was 21 voters. Uh, and we had our first ever situation in which one player received all – of the votes for the first spot that has never happened before. There's usually at least been a couple votes for somebody else, even if there was a really good prospect. And that's really intriguing to me because Nebraska in recent classes have pulled in Bryce Benhart and Wandale Robinson, but it is Thomas Fedoni is the first to earn all 21 first place votes. Any surprise there? Obviously you guys all had him as your first place player. The gap was pretty wide for me. What did you guys think? This was a tough year for the Super Six for me because, you know, certainly Fedoni is, you know, based on ranking and everything else, I think, you know, pretty far ahead of everybody else in the class. But, you know, that I think we've talked about this, that there's not a lot of guys in this recruiting class who you can really see having a big impact early in their college careers. Whereas, you know, in past years, there were a lot of skill guys that, you know, probably would have, you know, gotten on the field relatively quickly or, or flashed a little bit earlier in their careers. But I think a lot of this class is just developmental guys and, and guys that are at positions on the depth chart where it's going to be a heavy lift for them to make the two deep, um, probably in their first couple of years. So, I, you kind of had to take a little bit of a long view, I guess, with this class. Is that fair? I think that's fair. Uh, I think that's fair. I mean, I, I think that there, there aren't a lot of guys I expect to be immediate contributors. And as I look at my own kind of Super 6, let me, let me do this first. This is what the Super 6 composite turned out to be. Number one, Thomas Fedoni. Number two, Randolph Kapai. Number three, Wyndon Hohuli. Kapai and Hohuli were right next to each other with 46 and 44 points. Those are two uh, linebackers that have versatility. I'm not entirely sure either one is definitely an inside linebacker. They could end up on the outside. 
Kapai could end up as a defensive back, so keep an eye on that. Henry Lutovsky came in fourth as the offensive lineman out of Mount Pleasant, who's the highest rated of the linemen uh, from the Super 6. And he's a guy that I, I think all three of us had listed, if I have that correct here. No, I did not. did not have him. So we, yeah. there was, it was tough for people to find consensus. No player besides Fedoni appeared on every ballot. Uh, Gabe Irvin came in fifth, the running back out of Buford. People really like him. And Nebraska's running back situation is one of those sort of open deals where if he comes in and he has a really good spring, I know they brought in Marquise Stepp, but maybe you have a little one-two punch there. And so that's certainly worth keeping an eye on. And then for the first time ever, Kobe Bretts, the number six player in the Super Six and the class sleeper was six of the 21 selections. So that was kind of interesting too. So we wanted yeah. to... That's that's what the, the composite is. And then Brunch was talking about how, you know, you had to take a little bit more of a long view. And just looking at my own, like, I don't know that I expect, other than Fedoni, the only other guy on my list that I think is going to get a fair amount of time early could be Marcus Buford as a special teams guy. And I think Sean Hardy is the best of the wide receivers, but I guess I wouldn't be shocked if none of those guys play right away in the first year either. <clears throat> no Gabe Irvin I did not have Gabe Irvin on my super six I like Gabe Irvin but I don't know what to do with Nebraska's running back situation so I just chose not to rank him for that reason who are the guys for each of you uh that just missed or were the toughest to leave off I'll say quickly because you mentioned Latovsky and I did not have him on mine but he was like the next guy and so he was basically my seventh guy um he, he was tough to not put on there just because I, I just like, I like his mentality when he's done the way he talks about the game and how he approaches it. And also with the size and his film is really good, but uh, Gabe Irvin was another that was tough for me to leave off just cause I think he's solid. I just think he does everything pretty well when you watch him and he seems like a guy who gets North South uh, very effectively as a running back. He doesn't do a lot of dancing. It's, it's all, efficient running to me when you watch him I think if, if I had it to do over again um, I, I thought that based on ranking that Kobe Bretz was <laughs> qualified as a sleeper but apparently that was not the case um, and and I don't know if that's just because a lot of people have seen him play um, that they kind of know what is going on there but um, I had him as my sleeper I believe yeah I, I think I probably would have the other guy that I considered for that was AJ Rollins um, out of Creighton prep. And, and the reason for that is that I think he's a guy that is not even scratched the surface of what he can be as a football player. I mean, he's a, he's a damn good basketball player. And, you know, I, I think he wasn't necessarily used in the best way by prep at times um, for, for what he could do. And I, I think he's also a guy that probably gets overlooked in this class because when you talk about tight ends, it immediately goes to Fedoni for obvious reasons. And then James Carney, because he kind of came out of nowhere for a lot of people in the spring. So that, that was one that I kind of went back and forth on um, that, that maybe I would redo is, is putting Rollins in there as a sleeper. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's fair. He was chosen as a sleeper by John Bishop this year. And so he actually um, popped up that way. 18 of the 20 signees were mentioned in one form or fashion, which I think tells you a little bit about this class that 
there's uh, there's some view that there's some depth here and that I think a lot of these guys are in a similar range. So it was hard for people to kind of rank them going back to that question from, I, I think BC for me at, at number six, I went Sean Hardy, but I considered James Carney and I considered Latrell Neville. Um, and then maybe that was kind of the cutoff point for me. The next, I, I kind of tear it up. Like I, I sit down and I, I put the whole class out there and I, you know, these guys would be in the third tier. These guys would be in the second. These guys would be in the first. And then I try to pick my sleeper out of that third tier. Like, that's just how I've done it in the last few years to try to, to try to, you know, put the whole thing together. But yeah, I, I had a tough time because I, I like all the pass catchers in this group. They have six of them and Fedoni's the one that's going to play early, but I, I think any of those other five could be the next best one. And that includes those three wide receivers. And of course, Carney and Rollins. And so Rollins interests me to a degree too, because I guess I wouldn't be shocked if he has sort of the freedom, um, the freedom track where he ends up on the defensive side of the ball because Nebraska, when they offered him, it was what he was doing as a defensive end at a team camp uh, when Creighton prep was, was on at a summer camp at Nebraska. And they sort of were deciding during that time, whether they liked him as a tight end or as a defensive end. And I think he preferred tight end. And so they went that tight end route, but I wouldn't be shocked if a couple of these guys end up playing dramatically different positions than where they're listed right now. Yeah. I think Frost, I think in the, it was in December, he was asked about the tight end group and kind of pointedly threw in the fact that they, those guys have enough versatility that they could eventually end up playing different positions. So, and they're, they're different. Like Thomas Fedoni's a little different than AJ Rollins to me. Like, I don't think they're going to be the same type of tight end. No, no, definitely not. So, um, was there a guy that you ranked that you were surprised didn't end up in the super six? Mm. I, I, I had kind of an outlier. Um, I had Camonte Grimes uh, pretty high. Yep. Yeah, I had him four. Yeah, I, I, I was surprised that he, that he didn't get more run. Um, and I think part of that is he's, he doesn't do a ton of interviews. I don't know that you know, he was necessarily on a lot of radars, um, you know, relative to other guys in the class. But, you know, with the way he gets described by the coaching staff when they've talked about him, they talk about how twitchy he is. He's a big physical physical guy. He's a, he's a basketball player. I, of that wide receiver group, I think he's probably the most intriguing guy to me for, for potentially helping early. Um you know, I, I think he's probably a little bit further along than maybe um, Hardy or uh, Neville are. So I, I I was a little surprised that he didn't get more run. I think he's a guy whose ranking maybe doesn't, you know, in our rankings doesn't maybe match up with where he is as a prospect right now. Do you think people are a little skittish, those around us who have voted too, of the factor of voting for guys who are coming from – far away, you know, or coming from Florida or something. I, w- I wondered that a little bit, like, you know, there's, there's, you sort of have been bitten on these lists in the past with some guys maybe um, who, you know, aren't in the radius, the 500 mile radius. And so I, I, I wondered if that impacted some people's votes, even if they didn't necessarily think that at the top of their mind, it was somewhere back, back there as they were voting. 
Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I don't know if that's a uh, I don't know if that's like a conscious decision. I think some of it for this year would have been Nebraska did a lot more regional recruiting. If you look at their top eight players in their class from twenty four seven Sports composite rankings, six of them are within like three and a half hours of Lincoln. So I, I think some of it just is the way that they recruited um, makes it a more regional focused, and therefore your Super Six might reflect that a little bit I know I didn't weigh that into anything because Nebraska I mean you, you think about it like you go to just that 2018 class the the big contributors out of that group are coming from Fresno are coming from Alabama Casey Rogers is is from New York and Connecticut so uh back east and then you you've got a little bit closer to home certainly or a lot closer to home Cameron Jurgens. and so I I think each class is a little bit different in that regard um, but I, I do think, you know, coming off of that 2020 sort of exodus of those Florida players, people could have maybe subconsciously had that in their mind. There also just weren't that many options to go that far away. I mean, Hohuli still ended up third and he's coming from Hawaii. Yeah. Um, I had James Carney at number five. And one of the reasons I had him is I he's one of those recruits. I just look at and say, they're going to get something solid out of him before he's done here. I just believe that I sort of felt that about Garrett Nelson too. Um, Like you, you don't know what the ceiling is and some might be skeptical of how high it is. Uh, That might be a mistake to, but you know that he's going to at some point contribute in a solid way. So I I put him in my list in part because he was a guy just like, he's going to help. Like, and like, I don't know how, how much or what level, but he's going to be there in some way. I had Marcus Buford maybe higher than anybody. I had him number two. I just like that. He's, he's, he's been a lot of places. I like that. He had the extra year in prep school and he's a very mature guy. When you talk to him, um, I think, you know, his extra time in Connecticut helped him. He was, he, as he described it, he was sort of out in the middle of the woods with no technology and just had to, like it was sort of like a good experience for him to, to get away before taking on what he's about to do here in Nebraska. So I like him. Did Bayer make the top six? I forgot. Yeah. Was he? he that, that would be the guy that I was a little surprised because I think he was the New Jersey player of the year, at least from one of the associations offering that award. And he had a really nice senior year. I think he, you know, his film, I think is pretty good. He's a guy that I don't think he got ranked. So I sort of split this up. To, to see if there was any real um, thought process that went behind this. But I split it up when I was doing the math on it and I did all the writers first and then all the radio people second. And it, there is a little bit of a trend in, in who got ranked and, and where they got ranked. But it did seem like um, for, for Marcus Buford uh, and Makai Bear, they tended to be ranked a lot more from the, the writer's side of things. Uh, than they they did from the radio side. And I don't know if there's a whole lot to reflect that, uh, but it, it just that kind of stuck out to me a little bit. Yeah, he's a. I think he's a really good player. At least he was. His high school stuff's impressive, and um, he's overcome a lot of things too uh, to to get to where he is. Now he did suffer an injury that I'm not sure how 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 long it would keep him out, but it was something he that hit him in 2020 so we'll see but he's he's arriving in the summer so he's not an early enrollee so maybe he'll be a little bit behind uh but i i think he'll factor in um at some point now it's he's at a deep position though he, he wants he wants to be a middle backer and 
uh, that position to me looks like it's got some, some guys in the way the next couple of years. So that'll be interesting for some guys. All right. Any other thoughts, Brunch, you have on the Super Six? No, I think uh, I'm just looking back through actually the past ones and shaking my head at how dumb I was. Do you want to do you want to save this for we'll take a break. We come back. You can tell us how dumb you were. <laughs> I'll tell you how dumb I am in other ways, too, if we want. Well, I don't think we want to limit it to just one factor of how dumb you might be. But I, uh, I well, let's take a break. We will we'll come back. We're going to have some more recruiting talk. We're actually going to kick it forward to 2022. I have some questions for these guys about where they would put their emphasis in this class. Uh, and then, of course, you know, we'll find out how dumb Brunt is. That's what we're going to do when we come back with this Husker 24-7 podcast. Welcome back to the Husker 24-7 podcast, and we are going to wrap up a scintillating game of just how dumb Michael Brunt is. Brunt, how dumb were you in the year of 2018? What was your worst <laughs> prediction? That, that actually – that, that one's holding up okay, given how that class has kind of fallen apart. I, uh, I had Maurice Washington, number one, and I think, I think I'm justified in having that, aside from the fact that yeah, uh, I agree. he's no longer there. Adrian Martinez, number two. Will Honus, number three. And then this is where it gets a little dicey. Uh, Cameron Jones was, was four. He, of course, is now at SMU, having not played a game at Nebraska. Caleb Tanner at number five. Like the potential there still, um, again. Miles Jones, who played in a game and is now not in college football anymore. And uh, my sleeper that year was Dominic Watt, who later showed up at a Nebraska football camp, um, fresh out of the gym. He he put on an absolute show at the football camp with backflips and and a bunch of other things, too. It was a – the unique experience. Uh, my trooper, he ended I'm, up at a NAIA school. Is he? Okay. So, all right. Well, is there a year where you felt particularly dumber than in other years? I'm still going back. <laughs> I have to say, when you go back and you look at 2014, 15, and 16, Nebraska's classes there have ended up with a lot more contributors than your mind might tell you initially. Uh, I had Miles Farmer as my, my sleeper in 2019. I like that so far. That'll go well for you. That's going to be good. All right, let's, let's kick this forward, though. Let's go into 2022. And, and there's still two more spots. Nebraska is going to have an opportunity to go into the transfer portal. I guess we can quickly, uh, we can quickly get to this. If he wanted to come here, would you accept Brendan Radley Hiles' return to Nebraska, BC? Yeah, yeah, I would. Uh, I, I, I know Oklahoma fans are a little down on him, but I mean, I think he's a talented guy who's played in some big games. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think he's no, he is no longer viewed as like an end-all, be-all type of player like uh, a lot of people around here did when he was. A prospect I think that's dramatically changed but he's still a, a, a good talent so I, I I wouldn't mind it Brunt was he playing safety at Oklahoma I don't watch much big 12 football. yeah he he was putting weird positions there where they're having him cover these six six tight ends sometimes and he got a lot of penalties yes could, could he, he could he play nickel 
So that's kind of what I was thinking. Like, I think he would be a really interesting sort of nickel piece. Uh, he's not super big, but I think in a lot of the same ways of how you use DiCaprio Boodle, I think you could do that with, uh, with Brandon Radley Hiles. I would absolutely take him. I think the talent is better than what they're going to end up with, uh, with these two spots remaining. And I think they could use another defensive back that has experience as they kind of cycle through uh, that group right now. So you're saying he's coming. No, I'm absolutely not saying that. That's what I heard. Do, do, do. <laughs> uh, this is a false advertisement from you. Uh, uh, I was just trying to get you back for all that false advertising stuff you put <laughs> on me about Jack stole another man. You're going to have to do a better job if that's your <laughs> job. Bring your fastball next time, BC. I'm going to practice. Yeah, I, I probably tend to pass. Um, I I just feel like Nebraska's got other pressing needs for immediate help. And I, I don't think he would come to Nebraska anyways. I feel like he's headed west. I would guess he's in the Pac-12. That would be that would be my guess. I don't know for sure. But if I, if I was putting money on it, that would be the expectation. All right. So 2022 for Nebraska. And, and obviously, as we said, they have these other two spots. But is there a position or two that you look at this roster right now and you know it's not going to help them out for the upcoming season, but you think they got to get some people here at this spot because they're starting to get thin in a hurry. Hmm. Quarterback. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, it's, it's, it's an important cycle for the QB, I think. Um, so, yeah, that's that's definitely one, especially the way it's spaced out now. It was It was kind of stacked up where everybody felt like, they're pressed up against each other in the year they were. And now you've got some distance between Adrian and who you're recruiting. And I would have to think that's kind of enticing to a 22 guy, you know, like he, he actually thinks, okay, this job's wide open in a year. Uh, so quarterback, definitely. Uh, safety. Uh, I don't think they're just like scrambling at safety, but uh, you know, you're going to lose Deontay and you're going to lo- lose Markel uh, after this year. And Miles Farmer, Pola Gates, Isaac Gifford, all solid players who could, by the end of this year, have you feeling pretty good about it. But that's that's a position where I think you want to keep stack. You need to stack up some guys to come compete next year. Brooks? Yeah, I, I think defensive line is another one for me. Like – like I, I'm just in thinking about what Nebraska has at nose tackle. I think you just need to continue to bring guys in there. Like I, I think that's in the past been something that Nebraska struggled with is where you get, you have a really good year of, of defensive line guys, and then you, you don't continue to stack on top. And I think that's one group that I think you always need to add at safety is a good one. I think for, for just depth purposes, because you've got some young guys you feel okay about, but, that, that group's going to turn over fast. Um, and, you know, the other one for me is wide receiver, too. I mean, I, I think you're, you're starting to, to get the right mix of guys in there. But I, I think you need to continue to add some, some game changers um, to go with what you've already got and you're trying to develop. So I think that's probably where I'd look. Yeah, so you guys kind of read read my mind a little bit on this because I'll have come into the site either sometime here Thursday or, or Friday – uh, just sort of the, a positional wish list I think Nebraska would have for the 2022 class. And the three that jump out to me 
and, and there's four that I, I would say I feel most strongly about, but three you guys hit on right away. Uh, quarterback would be one of them because I think they, they have to have things kind of lined up for what feels like it's going to be a competition coming here sooner than later. And then defensive back and nose tackle. Nose tackle specifically because I think you got Damian Daniels. I don't know if he's going to be here two more years or one more year. But if he has another really good season – I don't really know, you know, they, they like Ty Robinson more, I think, as an end than they do as a nose tackle. And I think they want to move some guys around. But <laughs> is Nash Hutmacher going to be the next nose tackle up? Uh, or is he end up more as an end? And so I think some of this has to be solved by how spring ball goes. But nose tackle is definitely a spot at, that, you know, Brunk sort of hit on where I think they need to add that depth that you can have a guy that can sort of be your, your next Casey Rogers. But at that nose tackle spot, where you get to see him come along a little bit and then the, finally the job heads over to him and he's ready for it. And, and I think, you know, their defensive line recruiting is taking more of the longish approach than it is the immediate one. And, and I think we'll see that, but they've got to start lining up some people uh, at nose tackle, I think that are a little bit younger. And so that, that was definitely one. And then defensive back in general, I just think once you get behind those, those veterans up there, it gets thin and it gets thin in a hurry and some of that is, you know, if Malik Williams and, and Marcus Buford come in, they stabilize a corner, Kobe Bretts plays safety, and suddenly it, it looks a little bit different if those guys are all hits. But I, I do think that they got to go in and, and grab a few more defensive backs that, that you know, supplement that room, fill it out a little bit more. And then, of course, and this one is, it's kind of, they, they have bodies, but they don't necessarily have the full answers. And this one's just going to be a thing until it finally feels like they have it. But outside linebacker, I think they just got to keep, swinging away at that they didn't technically take one in the entirety of the 2021 class and so they might end up with some guys that, that move there position wise uh, but right now as it sits they didn't take one for an entire cycle so I think they'd need to look at that for sure in 2022. Outside backer to me is what middle backer was last year where they have a bunch of bodies so it's all on paper there's names and it's like okay this could work and by the end of the year you could feel pretty good about it or at least okay about it but you don't know yet and that's that position I mean because I'm thinking about guys like Blaze Gunnarsson mm -hmm. Jam Jamari Butler types um, you know uh, it, it's guys who have are, are they going to enter the Nico Cooper is the, uh, an obvious example is he a guy who's going to enter the mix or just be a special teams guy uh, there, you could name off like four or five guys at Javen, right? So that spot, that that's going to be one of the biggest curiosities to me of the whole roster is what that looks like by October, what we're saying about it and who's actually playing. Yeah. I'm going to be really curious, you know, in the spring game, kind of who's lined up where, and if, if it seems like they have a defined role or, or what it sort of looks like with some of these linebackers, because there, there's so many names. I mean, you, you went through what, five of them. Uh, and to add to that, you still have guys like, you know, where is, is Jackson Hanna back with the inside linebackers, he with the outside linebackers, David Alston, uh, and Fodarius Payne, Garrett Nelson, Caleb Tanner. Um, there's just a lot of people that, that kind of overlap there. And then they brought in this, this glut of inside linebackers, like a Seth Malcolm, for sure, an inside linebacker. Is Randolph Kapai, for sure, an inside linebacker. So there's, there's actually a lot in terms of the spring football where for me, I just kind of want to see when they, they play that game, like where some of these dudes are lined up at. And, and it could change over time, but um, there there is a glut of people in those spots. But what do they actually have, I think, is kind of what BC was getting at there. Brunson, is there any, any other positions you can think of with a little more time to think about it? 
No, I mean, I, I think you hit on it. Um, you know, I, I think they're getting to the point now where they've got so many young guys in the program. They got to figure out what they have. Right. I mean, I think you need to kind of start <clears throat> shifting through things. And I guess that's one of the benefits of a lot of these guys coming back for a victory lap is it allows you to find what you've got um, and, and really know what you have on the roster without having to, you know, basically find out on Saturdays. So um, I don't know. I mean, I, with you mentioned kind of with talking about Gabe Irvin, I mean, you've got a glut of guys in the running back room too. I mean, are you going to find a guy that can really emerge and, and be a, a game breaker type guy there? Cause it seems like when we do, we, we haven't seen Savion Morrison yet. Um, you know, Gabe Irvin's on campus early. Got Ronald Tompkins there, Marvin Scott's there, um, you know, Ramir Johnson's still around. I mean, you've got a lot of guys there, but um, you know, I do I do kind of wonder if this is the class where maybe you go find a, a guy that can come in and be kind of a splash in the way that Maurice Washington was at times uh, as an early guy. Cause I think that that would help this offense tremendously if you could have a a featured back that gets used and really kind of takes care of business there. Running back's also a spot where I am always expecting it to get whittled away at, you know, like somebody in that room is going to leave. And I'm not saying that with inside info right now, but if there's one football and there's five or six guys, it, it, it just always happens. So you gotta, you gotta think about it from the standpoint of what if like two of these guys are gone, you know, by, by next year, um, so I, I think running back is, is definitely on that list too, as, as a high priority until you find the, until you find the guy who splashes like, uh, like a Mo Washington could do. Yeah. All right. Well, let's finish up with this. What Nebraska player is going to have the best game in the Super Bowl on Sunday? Well, Levante David. Even with the, the hamstring injury? Yeah, I think so. All right. BC, you going to go opposite of that? Sure. I'll, I'll take Sue. Um, Khalil is definitely uh, what he was inactive. For yeah, the, that would be a very deep cut. So I think you have one of two choices. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, maybe he gets like one snap and he comes in and he, he causes a fumble or something. I, I would say I'll say Sue to play opposite of Brunt since it's how dumb is Brunt's day. He's obviously wrong. Yeah, that's a good point. You don't want to follow Brunts here. So you, you guys want to make Super Bowl predictions as we finish this out? Uh, I think the Chiefs are going to win. Boy, that was hard for you to say, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it was hard. I hope it's I hope it's a competitive game. I don't I don't want like Kansas City to just blow Tampa Bay out, which I think they have the potential to do. Everything tells you the Chiefs should win and potentially blow out the Bucks, And yet I have this feeling, I don't know. The Bucks strike me as one of once in a while, there's a championship team that comes along or at the end of it, everybody's like, how the, how did they win it? You know, like they, they really don't have the goods and the Bucks are kind of that to me, like how they're, where they're even at. I don't even think they're that great of a team, but uh, they're just good enough, and they can. I I don't know. I just have a feeling it's going to be a tight game. Brady, if Brady's in it late, I wouldn't be shocked if the Bucks pulled it off. And they're one of those weird title teams where we're like, oh, they actually won it. That was weird. Yeah, what BC described is sort of how I feel as well. I think the Bucks are a little better than maybe he does, but 
Um, I, I just, they're, they kind of have this weird team of destiny feel to it, which, you know, that's narrative driven. It's not based on anything actually happening, but it, it just feels like they, they have the ability to, uh, to make plays. They're not going to be scared of the moment because Tom Brady's there. And, and look, he just has a knack for, for keeping his team in these games. I know that sounds really stupid and it helps that they have a great defense and they have these wide receivers, but they, they believe obviously in him and, and they're there for a reason. I, I like the bucks in this game. If no other reason than their defensive line against kind of what feels like a makeshift chiefs offensive line right now, they have a chance to kind of slow down Mahomes and that offense a little bit. Like, I don't think this is going to be a super high scoring game because I think the bucks are going to be kind of hard to block between Jason Pierre, Paul and Shaq Barrett. And we'll see what Sue's able to bring Vita Vey is back. He's a great nose tackle for him. Um, I, that defensive front, I think could make it a longer day for the chiefs. than you might imagine it might force them to play like a shorter. They're not able to hit those deep throws with Tyreek Hill, which will help a bucks team that I think that's where they're, they're most susceptible at. The problem, and, and I don't know if you guys were aware of this before you started making predictions, is that a giraffe at the Nashville Zoo predicted that the Chiefs would win, and he uh, has a very high percentage of being successful. So oh. now you tell us. Yeah. So I, if, if you haven't, I would run across the river and throw everything that you own down <laughs> the Chiefs because that giraffe said so. Hey, well, look. I'm going to wait until you tell us what Daphne predicts, and then we'll, uh, we'll go from there. She better not predict the Chiefs or she's out of the house. <laughs> All right. We'll, uh, we'll close things out here. Be sure to check out everything at Husker 24-7. As I said, I'm kicking things forward with 2022 coverage. Uh, we'll have plenty more going on. Scott Frost speaks on Thursday, so I'm sure we'll have coverage of that as well. And, uh, you know, whatever else happens. Basketball apparently returns. You remember when that was a sport? It's, it's going to be a big sport the next month, pretty much every night. They're going to play more than the baseball team will at any point this year. <laughs> For the whole season. Yeah. All right. So we will uh, we'll have some more on the basketball and all of that next week as well. Be sure to check out Husker 24-7. We'll catch you next week with a couple more podcasts.